Welcome back to the Dudes Being Dudes podcast. I'm your host, Evan Budrovich. Let's dive right in, guys. The first series of the year is in the books, and the Camels are back, chartering from South Alabama. We had the chance to catch up with senior infielder Colin Wolf, the Camels' RBI leader from last year, who is now moving back to his natural position of shortstop. We discussed the nuances of playing the infield here at Campbell and his approach to taking hit-by-pitches, a key staple in Campbell's offense, and some other stats that stand out on the scorecard for Colin Wolf. Okay, Colin, so you're our first player guest on this podcast, and, and I'm curious for someone who was born and raised in Washington all the way across the country, what drew you to Bowie's Creek? Man, uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, coach Marks, um, who was a pitching coach and career coordinator um, at the time, um, came out and saw me at uh, like a sophomore showcase deal um, and uh, showed some interest, talked to my coach, and then um, ended up setting up a visit um, to come down here. And um, when I got here, if anyone's you know ever seen this place, it's, it's anything you'd ever want when it comes to uh, facilities. Um, so right there, I was already attractive. Um, and then I uh, met all the coaches and uh, just a super young, energetic staff um, that really had um, this place going in the right direction. Um, the wins or the win-loss record or, or standings um, didn't necessarily say that at the time. I think they, they were coming off seventh or eighth um, place finish. Um, but I just felt something and, um, ended up committing like two days after my visit. Um, can you pick my lottery tickets then? You, <laughs> you ran into two championships in a row. I mean, I guess so. Yeah. Um, after I signed, I signed, I think I signed, uh, first or second day in November in 2018. Um, and then they ended up winning it or sorry, 2017. And then 2018, they end up, um, winning it. Coach Harris does a great job of, um, getting those guys together. And, um, honestly, like, like if you're looking at stats wise, it wasn't necessarily the most amazing team, but you had guys coming through, um, you know, and then you had Matthew Barefoot, which if we're talking about stats, that's an amazing team. Um, but uh, just all the guys that they had coming back too, and I was able to meet some of those guys on the on the visit, and um, just that combination with the facilities and the coaching staff and kind of the small feels, almost like another JUCO. Um, it just seemed like the perfect um, fit for me, so I was super excited. Well, speaking of small towns, Puyallup, Washington, is not a very big place. It's you wouldn't know about it unless you were looking for it. Right. Tell me a little bit about your home area and what was that like? So my home area um, is um, it's pretty homey. It's 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 not t- towns back home. It means basically like a lot of people, everybody knows your business type of thing. Um, but it's kind of different. Um, in the sense that there's actually like uh, hills and stuff, um, and uh, everything's kind of the the um, kind of the geography of it is um, pretty. Uh, I would say there's a lot a lot more houses, I guess you could say. Um, I feel like there's a decent amount um, more people. So it's a bedroom um, community. Yes, I would say. Um, but like I said, everybody knows everybody. Um, it's uh, there's churches everywhere. Um, Have you been to the Western Washington State Fair out there? I have actually. Um, so the Washington State Fair used to actually be called the Puyallup Fair. Um, the Puyallup Fair is sitting uh, right, in, right smack middle in Puyallup, and uh, that's kind of a big thing every every September. Um, that's, I mean, big on dates there, big family entertainment, um, ton of concerts and stuff like that. Um, so that's one of probably our like um, highlights of the town. Um, but but like I said, everybody everybody's. Um, super nice. Um, everything's super close. Um, it only takes five, 10 minutes to get wherever you need to go. Um, we got a mall, 
um, you know, they're, they're pretty much everything that you would need. Um, and also you're pretty close to freeways. So getting to places like Seattle, um, or even trying to head east to go over to, um, see Washington state or whatever, um, or Washington state university. What was that conversation then? Like when you said you wanted to move across the country, how were your parents reacting to that? Um, they trusted me. Um, it was obviously a big move. Um, it's five plus hours flying, um, having to move my, you know, my personal entire life, um, all the way across the country was interesting. Um, but they were, they were, um, pretty supportive, um, understanding that, you know, if this is what I want to do and for my career and I chose to move all the way across the country, like it's probably something that I was going to be pretty committed on and stand firm. And so, um, there wasn't any like doubt or anything that, um, this is the right thing to do for me. And so, um, they're pretty supportive and okay, let's, let's kind of plan this out. Let's see how we can, you know, um, help you move over there, get the car over there, stuff like that. So for those who may not know you you've moved to shortstop this year and you started your Juco career as a shortstop, played a lot of that growing up. What's going to be different about Colin Wolf, the second baseman slash third baseman of last season, to Colin, the shortstop this year? Um, that's that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, Colin Wolf, the second baseman, third baseman, um, is is uh, I wouldn't necessarily say a role player, but definitely like um, you know what you're going to get. I'm not saying that I'm just going to be this super crazy, you know, like you just you have no idea what you're going to get that day um, type of guy at shortstop. But uh, I definitely feel a lot more comfortable. So I feel like I can be myself personality wise. Um, whereas when I was playing second and third, it was kind of like a more focused, like um, locked into like myself and what I need to do um, type of person to where at shortstop I can kind of um, um let let my personality and like my energy and my I, I would say like baseball knowledge take control of the way that I play um, up the middle and kind of take that captain sort of role um, that's kind of you know um, I wouldn't say like it's a stigma of shortstop but that's kind of what the person at shortstop is supposed to be. If that what did sense. you learn from watching Luis the last couple of years and especially this past season? Um, I learned that. Uh, I mean that that's a guy who was super energetic as well. Um he was a person that uh in the box was an absolute competitor. Um he was some someone that kind of um did his best to take control of uh you know managing the game from the defensive side of the ball. Um and then him and uh him and Tyler Anshaw were able to um, communicate up the middle and so um, at the division one level that was something where I got to sit back and maybe not necessarily participate in what they were doing because I was over on the other side um, at third base instead of up the middle um, but I got to watch them and see how kind of like okay this is the pace of the game this is how communication is supposed to go at this level because those are two guys that had you know a year of experience and it kind of helped me you know even though I was on um, you know his right side instead of his left I was still able to um, you know really learn from those guys' experience. So it was it was nice. This team takes pride defensively in using wristband technology mm -hmm. for mapping out locations where you're going to play defense. I know Tyler Robinson's big in communicating that to mm -hmm. you guys. What are your thoughts just on that technique, and, and what have you noticed kind of playing with it the last few years? Um, I personally love it. Um, it's – in everything that we do here, it's it's a lot about efficiency. Um, and it's get, it's getting from point A to point B, whether that is um, communicating signs for base runners 
or, you know, that's just the offensive side. But now that we've moved it towards the defensive side, it's not just the catcher having signs. It's every single infielder having signs, and um, we're able to have defensive positionings as well as knowing what pitch is coming and all that stuff. And so um, we talked about it. Um, Coach Hare talked about how, you know, defense needs to be kind of our staple this year. Um, I think that that was something that needed to be emphasized um, in comparison to the last year and the year before, um, just to kind of take us to that next level. Um, and that that doesn't even have anything to do with how well we compete because like our the way that we compete is you know I, at least I believe is something that can't that can't be matched you know what I'm saying um, so when we implemented something like the sign system where um, we'd seen other teams do it or we'd watch film and it really worked um, it really simplified the game and the thinking process for our entire team um, and so being able to shift into specific spots um, where tendencies are and stuff like that. Um, it really helped us, especially this past weekend, of um, just really prioritizing that defensive part of the game, and it's it's worked really well so far. This past year at third, we saw your arm strength certainly on display and your ability to make those diving throws where you're on, <laughs> the, on the run and, and go into first. What is kind of your staple defensively? I know it's short, it's a little different, but how do you play the game at that position? Um, at third or short? Or it's short for this year, yeah. Oh, okay, short this year. Um it's 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 different. It really is different. Um, at third base, you can kind of, I wouldn't say sit back, but you kind of just let reactions take it. You don't have to think about anything. Um, it's kind of just like, okay, I I can't let this ball get by me, no matter what, whether that's a hundred miles an hour at my chest or to my left, and I got to dive. Um, at shortstop, it's it's that same kind of mindset, but a little bit of adapting to how hard did he hit the ball. Um, where did he hit the ball? Do I need to be covering this base? Do I need to? And like I said, with that captain's role, you got it at the same time of knowing where you need to be in the play that you need to make. I also need to make sure that three, four, five other guys are in the same spot. And I trust them. Um, but just also be kind of being like the oversee, overseer of all the stuff that's going on. Um, so I think that um, the, like, I guess, intensity of the way that I would attack a baseball or my throws or whatever it doesn't necessarily change, but the way that I have to adapt to what to knowing what everybody else is doing is probably the biggest change I would say. But like you said, I've I've played there for um, you know all growing up, and then I um, most of my time in junior college was at that spot. So um, getting back into it this spring um, has been kind of like um, hasn't been too difficult, but it's been like a refresher. It's been it's been nice to be able to play somewhere um, or play a position where I feel like most naturally comfortable. So on your Twitter account, at Seawolf oh, underscore 23, I just want to make sure I tagged it there. <laughs> no, you're good. You had an incredible play that you tried to get on Sports Center where you're short, you're basically <laughs> behind the bag, you're turning, you flip it basically behind your back. Right. Second baseman turns to a couple of questions off of that. Yeah. One, is that the give me a sense of how that play takes place. And two, you know, obviously Colin Wolf 23, but yet you're wearing a different number this year. Right. So, um Oh, geez, there, there's like four questions in that. Um, the first one I'd say for, for 23, just because I'm thinking about it, um, geez, I've tried to find so many different reasons why. Um, probably the number one reason why is uh, my best friend back home, um, he grew up loving the number 23. And um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge like, I don't know, I, I can't, I, I don't get mad, I don't get, I'm not very sad, I'm, I'm always just off the wall, energetic and happy, um, and so I love, I love being able to support, so, to support people, so in junior college, I didn't get that number my freshman year, um, my sophomore year, I had the opportunity to get 23, and I was like, man, you know, like, um, growing up, my best friend played, and he plays golf now, but um, loved playing baseball, and 23 was his number, so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and bring my best friend with me because I wish that he was playing with me um so that's one of the reasons and a couple other reasons um kind of smaller behind that that I don't need to necessarily go into um 
but uh, so that's why there's 23. Um, that play specifically. So uh, first off, I had one of my friends um, tweet out that video. That is not my tweet. It's just from my account. Um, so he tweeted. You're a brand out. manager now. Huh? <laughs> he was trying to he was trying to get it on his, or on a Sports Center um, for the day. But um, so in that sense, we were in our like conference tournament. So it was the top eight teams in our 16 team um, league. And uh, we had lost the first game on a walk-off where our right fielder caught the ball. And it was the first time in the history of the league they used video review. And our right fielder, like, was half in, half out on the foul line with a runner on third and two outs. And it hit off his glove, and they called it fair. So the day before we lost, I think it was was 1-0 or 2-1. And so that game um, was lose or go home. Um, and so I, I don't know what the score was necessarily. I haven't seen it in a while. Um, I don't I don't like to tweet too much, but uh, it was one of those kind of just out of body experiences of of just the whole team was like whatever we have to do in order to move on to the next day we got to do. Um, and so that play kind of um, there's a run, I know there's a run on first and one of our guys pitching like used to be used to be the shortstop but turned into a pitcher and so I was kind of filling a role that year. Um, and uh, it just happened to where balls at the middle I was able to react and dive and as I'm diving, I'm able to flip it over my head and shortstop or second baseman almost makes the play, um, to turn to play. Um, but there were so many guys on that team. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, Alex McGarry, actually I'll shout him out, but Alex McGarry was the first baseman who is, uh, he just like tied the Oregon state record for doubles in a game, um, yesterday. Um, so yeah, so so like just even on that team, not even that play, just the guys that you can see in the frame. Um, it's just kind of cool to look back to say like, Oh, I played with that guy. Oh, I played with that guy. Um, so I think that play for me is not necessarily about like my physical ability. It's about like, I can remember all the, all the people, um, that helped me get, you know, to where I am today. So it's a pretty cool experience. I think it's a pretty cool video. Not, not the best video quality, I would say, <laughs> um, but definitely something that, you know, I'll never forget. Another play that stands out on the defensive side is at North Carolina. We're at the Bosch mm. in, the, in the middle of the season. and You were shifted over mm-hmm. almost behind the bag at second, a, a dive in foul territory to make a catch. How does that break down just from a hustle standpoint and your ability to track a ball over 100 feet? Um, so the – the exact reason why I can make plays like that is because, well, first of all, I eat, sleep, breathe baseball. And that has been happening since I was out of the womb. Um, and so probably from ages 6 to 13, 14, um, whether it was my mom, my dad, my, a couple of my friends or whatever, we would literally go out in front of our house and we lived probably two houses away from a big cul-de-sac. So it was kind of like um, yeah, there was a bigger open area in the street. Um, but um, whoever was hitting, I would literally stand, you know, 60, 70 feet away. And they would literally just launch tennis balls with a tennis racket up. And I would I'd dive in people's front yards. I would run around trees. I would have to, you know, um, maneuver around basketball hoops and over curbs and uh, cars, plenty of cars. Um, and it so, sounds very safe. And so, oh yeah, it was, no, it was so safe. And this was at like six, seven years old. So I felt really comfortable. Um, you know, when at North Carolina where there's no one there, I kind of felt, you know, it was, it was easier, but, um, no. So, so in those, in that sense, I'm able to, um, like, I mean, it's the same thing with playing short. So i kind of go back to my natural ability, not really having to think about what I'm doing. Um, and even in that play, because we were shifted over so far for the lefty pull, um, I'm able to play shortstop. Um, so making that play 70, 80 plus feet running over to catch a, um, a pop fly, um, 
I'm not going to say it's easy because that's not an easy play, um, but there was no really, like, thought to it. It was simple. It was like there's no cars, there's no trees, there's no, you know, I just have to go and get the ball. Um, and well, in so, the grand scheme of things, then, it, it seems like a pretty simple play. In grand scheme, yes, I know what the, you're the saying. concept. But, um, yeah, no, that was that was a fun play to make and the fact that um, – you know, you see the Phil Simpson fist pump after the replay, and um, our catcher was doing a good job of telling me where the wall was. Um, that was definitely a fun play to fun play to make. You mind if we talk some offense too? Oh, I'm so down. Let's do it. So this Campbell team, the hit by pitch totals are staggering mm-hmm. in terms of top ten in the country each of the last four to five years now. Right. And you finished third on the team with over ten hit by pitches. Mm-hmm. When you came into a culture like this where that's preached and emphasized, mm-hmm. how did you kind of react to that, and how do you incorporate that into your game? so uh i'm a big numbers guy um not necessarily of like uh well i, well, I take pride in my numbers as a player but i think that the biggest thing is like the on-base percentage i think is what well, we think as a, as a team now um the number one stat that we could have um for an offense so we pride ourselves in our walk and hit by pitch decay ratio um, we're trying to get on base, obviously, as much as possible. But um, sometimes that means, you know, taking 90 plus in the shoulder or in the back. Um, in junior college, uh, our coach let us move if it was at our feet or at our shins. So anything anything below the knee, we were able to move. Um, here, it's not necessarily that you can't move, but it's like if you want to play, you 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 really got it. You know, that's a staple of our offense. You know, um, and so Matthew Barefoot was a great um, was a great guy at doing it. Um, Spencer Packard. Um, has been, a, you know, good at that. And a lot of us, I think there was like, I think there was five plus um, or that were at 10 or more hit by pitches. Um, so, but that, you see, if you weren't hitting well, your hit by pitch could be up and you have the same on-base percentage as someone who's hitting 300. Yeah, last um, year you got on 41% of the time. So, and and that's not, you know, I hit like 290 or something like that. And so it's like, there's 110 extra points of walk and hit by pitch. And I think I, I I don't know how many hit by pitches I have, but it's like if I can if I can wear a couple, you know that could be what gets me out of a slump, um, you know whatever that is. So any way that we can help the team, that's kind of what we take take pride in in this um, organization. So it's sometimes it sucks, but that's probably the number one thing that gets the team the most hype in the dugout. So it's pretty cool. A unique experience for you and the team last year was to start the year at Coastal Carolina down in Myrtle Beach oh, yeah. for the opening tournament, and, and you took that to a whole other level because in your first game against Maryland. You hit a huge home run in that comeback right. win. First of all, what's it like to step in day one and contribute? And then, two, just the reaction of hitting that home run and seeing your teammates respond to you. Um, well, first of all, just the fact that they, that the coaches trusted me to step in and, um, you know, contribute was huge. Um, I changed a lot from my offensive approach, um, whether it was my stance or I have a leg kick or um, just what pitches I'm hitting. Um had to take a lot into account in order to contribute day one. Um, and so the fact that they trusted me was huge. But uh, in junior college, I hit one home run a year. I am not. I was not a power guy. Um, I, don't, I wouldn't say that I'm a power guy now necessarily. But um, it was interesting to, to be able to jump on a baseball and then see it go over the fence. Um, so when that happened, I was, re- you know, I was super excited. Um, another kind of out-of-body experience. Um, but that, that kind of um, – you know, thought to myself, I think it was, I think it was my second at bat of the year. I was like, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can do this, you know? Um, and so going into the dugout and everybody's pumped up and thinks that I, I can do that all the time. And I never necessarily thought that, um, it was pretty interesting. 
Um, and so then I was able to hit a double later on, and I was like, okay, not that this is easy necessarily at all whatsoever because this game is very tough, um, but uh, definitely was a confidence booster of like, you know, maybe maybe I am supposed to be here. Maybe, you know, maybe I can take this thing a little further than, um, you know, people thought or that I thought. And so it was definitely, definitely a confidence boost. For your team to be able to clinch the regular season on this field, obviously there's a lot that goes right. into that, but right. in the Longwood series, take me through the emotion that builds into that moment and then when you can finally have that dog pile. I know the tournament's a different thing because right. of the short time frame. Right, right. To build up to that final series and to be able to win it. Yeah. Um I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep saying another out of body experience. Um it was so cool to watch guys who had put everything into this game and and I'm I'm talking specifically about the seniors. Um just watching every single person who'd put, you know, blood, sweat and tears not even just last year when I came here. Um, but just their their entire lives and just watching, you know, Matthew Barefoot, um, you know, with everything that he had been through. And I know that he was struggling um, with an injury. Um, Luis Jimenez was struggling with um, uh, his thro- throwing arm injury, his wrist or his hand. And uh, um, Ann Shaw had been through ups and downs in the season. And um, Minnick was just getting hot. Um, you know, Kobe Collins. Uh, came out of nowhere. He yeah. came out of nowhere. Um which I think all of us believed in him, but definitely not a guy that was like day one, you're going at it. Um, you know, but just, just all the people that, um, put so much into that year only to have everything kind of fall into like, okay, we got to win one game and we get a dog pile in front of everyone. And, um, Joey Scratch is another one. Um, Bryce Coda sticking through an arm injury. Um, Michael Horrell. I mean, there's so many guys that I could just keep going down. Um, and then everybody in the, in the dugout that was supportive all year, like, that's something that that you know we'll never forget ever. Um, so, uh, be, and then being able to clinch at home um, was just an amazing experience. It was it was it was really cool to be able to do it with all the people that you knew had been you know putting in work day in and day out. Um, something that you know none of us will forget. So, obviously, the experience of winning the title is great. But as you jump into the regional in the postseason right. play, there were a couple games that had the heart rate going up and down oh, yeah. every inning and. I want to jump to the Quinnipiac game mm-hmm. for a second because not only did you hit a home run in that game, there was some late drama with the, the walk-off sack fly. Mm-hmm. And as you're dealing with that up-and-down emotion, how do you try to handle that as a player? And what's going through your mind when something big happens, like a home run for yourself? Um, so that home run uh, was our only home run to opposite field. And thank, thanks to the wind. Um, I'll say I'll be the first one to say it. Uh, but – no, that was that specific um, instance in the game. I want to say that it tied it, but like the the biggest part was that Kobe Collins the next at bat, it's oh two fastball just way into the trees at East Carolina, um to take the lead. Um, so uh, I think that I just kind of worked as a table setter for you know the other guys in that series because I didn't hit too well, but um, it it just shows. A, um, me and Coach Hare talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's like no matter what anybody is going through, whether that's offensive struggle, defensive struggle, pitching struggle, um, there's always someone who is ready on our team to step into the next role. You know what I'm saying? So when we had um, Matt Christian started off the year hot last year, um, and then he kind of dipped down a little bit, and then Brock Bell was able to step in, um, and then he dipped down a little bit, and then Kobe Collins was able to step in. It's like every single person, everybody was ready to go. It didn't matter what you were doing. Every, every single person, pitching staff, everybody was ready to go. Um, so when it came to that Quinnip, uh, Quinnipiac game, 
it it didn't none of the stuff that happened whether it was um the one that I keep thinking of is uh Seth Johnson throws a ball into the dugout yeah I'm on a pickoff which love Seth Johnson um but he, he probably threw it 95 oh yeah no too. no definitely um but like that stuff is just gonna happen you know it's not like he's sitting there trying to throw a ball into the dugout or guys are sitting there trying to strike out with runners in scoring position or whatever um and so I think that at that point it was it was just the game of baseball being the game of baseball and so I think that a lot of guys on our team kind of just bought into that idea of like if we give everything we have, regardless of the outcome, we know that we gave everything we have. You know what I mean? And so when, you know, the tables turn and, and Barefoot's able to hit that game-tying home run in the eighth, um, and then um, in the ninth we, you know, kind of throw it away per se and give up the lead. Um, and then in the bottom of the ninth, you know, we I don't think there was necessarily any doubt of, like, there is a chance that we could lose this game. It was more like – if if we end up losing this game, we 100% gave everything that we had. What gave you confidence? Because I want to double-check here real quick. Yep, okay, so you were a big runner in that situation right. on the ball that dropped for Christian. Yeah. Is that just a great read on your part, or how were you able to anticipate that um, ball? That's half and half. Um, number one, I knew getting my lead at second base that they were playing really deep. Um, Matt Christian, I, I don't know if they had a scouting report or what, but if they watched the Big South tournament – um, I think he had one at bat, and he hit a ball about 430 feet over the center field wall in Fayetteville. Um, so they were playing pretty far back. I knew the wind was blowing out to right field because my ball had carried out. So I knew that there was um, there's a chance that the ball could really go. Um, I knew that when he hit the ball, um, he, he had end-capped it a little bit. And so it was it was half a good read, half luck that he did not slide because um, the ball goes right under his glove. Um, and we're able to advance. Because uh, even on that play, we're seeing it from the broadcast position right. up top, you're already heading towards the oh, yeah, before yeah. the ball drops. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, let's be honest, if the center fielder catches that oh, ball, lose. the game's over. Yep, and we play ECU that night. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that's why I say, like, some, sometimes you, you just have a little a little bit of baseball luck. Um, so, I, you know, I think that the biggest thing that I took away is, like, I, again, I, I just explained through the game is, like, that's my read, and I trusted it 100%. It's not like I was sitting there like, uh, I don't know. You know, I trusted it 100%, and it just ended up working out. Um, and if I would have committed and the guy would have made a diving catch or sliding catch and threw me out a second, um, obviously I would have been, you know, my stomach would have been turning. But, yeah, it's like it's a, it's a, it's a great play. It, you know, it is, it is what it is. Obviously you'd be disappointed, and, but at that point you flip the switch and you got to go beat ECU that night game. But, um, thankfully, it ended up working out the way it did, and we were able to make it to the regional championship 2-0. So. As we sit here with your Seattle Mariners retro cap <laughs> on for right. King Felix, I'm always curious. So this first trip of the year down in Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. you guys get to take a charter plane and really experience kind of that professional-level, next-level right. trip, right. playing the two, the three games in two days, flying down to open up the season. Right. Just give me your thoughts kind of on the travel part of it itself and everything that goes into the, that experience. Um. Yeah, so uh, our coaching staff always does a great job of of uh, providing us with um, team duties or, or a list of everything that we're supposed to grab. Um, and so um, our job is simply to get prepared based off what they tell us. Um, they got a schedule for us, um, so we do our stuff and um, take it to the airport or, get, or pack it on the bus, take it to the airport, make sure we get it all on the plane. And it actually ended up being um, fairly smooth. Um, going down there and then when we you know schedule change it's supposed to rain a ton on sunday so we go double header on saturday and then we're fly- we find out we're flying home 
um, that Saturday night. Um, so we actually, it was even more smooth coming home. Um, we finished our game. We shot, I, geez, it was the fastest team shower in the history of time. It was crazy. Cause we well, had after, we, after a win too. Yeah, I know. Oh, we were, we, yeah, maybe that's why maybe, maybe a loss would have taken twice the time. I'm not sure, but, um, no, we were excited. Uh, so fastest team shower ever, um, in and out of their facilities in like 20, 30 minutes, get food, get on the bus. And we, we help pack the plane. Um, we're, we're, um, with the wind coming back home, uh, to Harnett County and, uh, so we land it's like a 10 minute turnaround and the bus shows up and everybody helps and loads it up and we're back home i think i think total after the game which probably ended at like man i don't know around 10 maybe we got home before two o'clock i think it was and you lose an hour with a time change, and we yeah. exactly so it was it was a total three hours and that's with an hour and a half flight and the and the game ending and us showering and getting food and stuff like that um, so it actually went super smooth. Um, and like I said, that just, that just shows, you know, kind of the int- attention to detail that everybody has and everybody was on board and, um, you know, our coaching staff giving us the right tools that we need. So since you take pride and value in numbers, right. Something I want to bring up with you okay. is kind of on base and reaching base, you know, for yourself last mm-hmm. year, 23 straight games reaching base. Wow. I don't want to jinx it. Knock on wood. No, you, I didn't know that. That's you've fine. reached base in every game this year so far <laughs> yeah are, are those areas when you track numbers what are some things that you sort of look at or are there anything that stands out to you uh probably the top two are on base percentage and fielding percentage um to me I, number one take pride in defense um i love taking hits away uh but number two is on base percentage if we're talking number one for offensive part of the game but um for on base it's that's literally the testament of how many times that or how, what the percentage of times that you can get on for your team to score um, or you're scoring your team, you know, if you if you're driving them in with hits. Um, so I think on base percentage just is like the end all be all. It's like if you if you're hitting 280 and your on base is 290, it's like, OK, well, if you don't get a hit, you really aren't helping out your team in a sense. You know what I mean? Unless you're hitting sack flies or sack bunts all the time or whatever. But um, I think for me, kind of being a top middle of the order guy if I can get on and kind of be a table setter um, most of the time for guys like Spencer Packard and um, Zach Williams and Matt Christian had great weekends um, driving the ball out of the yard Um, if I can be on base for them that's why I take pride in being on base I give my team chances to you know score Um, so and then when I get the opportunity, RBIs are also very important. I'd say that's probably number two. And I was going to say to end this conversation, yeah. you and Barefoot tied for the team late in RBI. You snuck up late in the season. I know he's a leadoff hitter, so right. it's a little you're judging right. on different right. yeah. scales and things of that nature. But are, are there goals that you sort of set, whether it's numerically or just production-wise for, for your team? Um, for the team or for me? For you personally as well. Um, for the team, uh, we set them – the coaching staff helps helps us set them, but um, like the on base percentage and and the walk and hit by pitch um, per K ratio um, is a is a big deal. Um, we want to be one to one. So like for example, this weekend we didn't have necessarily the best um, hitting numbers on Friday for our day one, um, but overall we were one to one walk and hit by pitch to K ratio. So overall that's not necessarily. I mean obviously we were one and two, but like overall offensively that's not necessarily a bad weekend or a weekend where we need to go back on Monday and be like, you know, what the heck was going on? Um, and so if we can kind of match that number all year um, and start to push, you know, you know, 1.1, 1.2 per K, um, that's when our offense starts to take off. Um, 
and then for me personally, I would say, uh, my, my big thing last year was I would, I would drive in runs. Um, but it wasn't my, uh, average with runners in scoring position was not too high. Um, it was a lot of RBI ground balls. Um, you know, just do, I mean, drive, still driving in the run, but if you can drive them in with hits, you know, as opposed to driving them in, obviously that'd be the, the, um, you know, the better or the more ideal situation. Um, so that, so that was a big one. And then, uh, just the on-base percentage being higher than what it was last year. Um, cause like I said, as, as many times that I can give my chance to score, um, especially being a top middle of the order type of guy, um, then I want to do anything that I can. So. Colin, we appreciate the time. Yeah, and thank, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me.